Thank you, Kevin, for reading those scriptures to us, and good morning to all. So maybe some of you are confused. You thought we were in the series in Luke. Why are we reading 1 Corinthians? So, of course, the topic should make it clear, and maybe others are confused. Why am I speaking about the resurrection on December the 25th? Isn't this an Easter message? Well, besides the fact that we want to, we don't want to disrupt our wonderful series that we are started, I think, on the first Sunday of the year, and somehow it's ended up in the last Sunday of the year, we're actually going to finish the book of Luke. So we are going to be in Luke 24, so please do turn your Bibles there. And, um, you know, although it may not be a Christmas message, it might seem a little odd, but nevertheless, you know, as we have been studying through this book, uh, one thing has been clear is that, you know, whether the, the entire story of the birth of Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection are all really part of one story, are they not? It's the same story that, um, uh, you know, that is, that is the playing out in history of the plan that was designed in the mind of God in eternity past to bring a people to himself. And thank you, Joby and the choir for that beautiful song, which actually very beautifully captures that entire story right from the beginning uh, all the way to the end. Uh, and, um, and really, that's where we are today in our study. You know, we, last week, uh, Brother LD took us through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified. He died. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of the Lord Jesus. And then, uh, you know, but, uh, but the best of the story was yet to come. It wasn't the end, as death is for most men, it is the end. But the, the rest of the story uh, is yet to come, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And just to connect back with where, uh, where LD left off, we can just turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 55 and 56. We find that uh, you know, LD covered uh, several characters or several groups of people that were witnessing the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And here... In, um, in verse 55, we read of the women, and it says, And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So here we have the the women who are off, they were at the crucifixion on Golgotha and they were looking up and seeing the Lord Jesus going through all the sufferings. We read about some of that in Matthew 27 this morning as we were remembering the Lord. And, uh, and then they were watching from a distance and then they went off and, and we see here that they prepared spices. Uh, and we're going to see now what they did with those spices. Now Luke 24 is the last chapter and it records several key events that followed the burial of Christ. It talks about the glorious resurrection. It talks about his appearance to two disciples as they were traveling, walking on the road to a place called Emmaus. Uh, it talks about the appearance of the Lord to a larger group of disciples. And then it ends with the great commission and the ascension of the Lord Jesus into, into heaven. But we're going to look at this from the perspective of from three different scenes, starting with the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, you all have your notes and you can, you can follow 
uh, along in there. But uh, the first incident we find in in uh, in uh, verses one through eight, uh, and that is the the the, the very events that are surrounding the resurrection. And uh, if we turn there to, to verse 1 onwards, we read that now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women. So these are the same women who had gone and prepared the spices. What did they do on the first day of the week, uh, which is Sunday? They came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now they came to the tomb. It was the first day of the week. They brought the spices, obviously, to embalm the body or do whatever those rituals were that the people of the time did. And this group of women faithfully arrive at the tomb. And what do they find there? We find and we see in verse, um, in verse 2. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, if you recall, you know, after Jesus had been buried, you know, the Pharisees had come to Pilate and they said, you know, they put a stone, they rolled a stone in front of this tomb and they had put a seal around it and these women come and they find that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb and this was quite a large stone uh, it couldn't have been moved by by just one person or two perhaps they found the stone rolled away then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus so they looked in and there was no body there was no body in the tomb and then what happened verse 4 says that they were uh, it happened as they were greatly perplexed. So they were, they were perplexed. They were amazed. They were uh, not sure what was going on. This is what is going through their mind. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now we know that these are, these are the two men were the angels, right? And these angels, they come and they give a message to the women. And the message goes like this. Uh, the message of the angels is that as they were afraid and, uh, and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, that is the angels said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sin, sinful men and be crucified, and the third day he must rise again. So these angels come and they have a message for these, these women who are, who are really perplexed, who are very confused about what they are seeing there. They had come with the spices to, to put it on the body of the Lord Jesus, as was the custom of the day. Uh, and they find that the stone is not only is a stone rolled away, but they go in, the tomb is empty. They find the grave clothes lying over there. And, uh, and they're perplexed, you know, they're confused. And all of a sudden come these two men with shining clothes which we know to be angels and the angels say why are you looking for the living among the dead Jesus is living hallelujah why are you looking for him in a tomb why are you even here <coughs> you know he is risen and remember he told you this while he was with you that he would be crucified by sinful men <coughs> that he would rise again on the third day this is something that the Lord told you while he was with you you know, Jesus had won the victory over sin and over death and Satan. He was alive as had been prophesied by the prophets and by Jesus himself. <coughs> so this is the story of the resurrection. And this story is repeated for us in, the, in the, the various Gospels. We're not going to go look at all of the different, uh, all of the different uh, uh, you know, accounts of the Gospel of the resurrection. They all 
pretty much match each other. But what I want to do this morning is to look at why is the resurrection so important? Why is the resurrection of the Christ so important? You know, Luke gives us the history. He gives us the history of what actually happened on that resurrection morning. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which was the passage that Kevin read to us, he gives us the theology behind it. He talks to us about the importance of the resurrection, why this resurrection is the pivotal event in human history, why it is the pivotal, uh, pivotal uh, part of the, the very gospel. You know, it is the most important part of the gospel message. So if you look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, thank you. You know, we are uh, very familiar with this verse, and here's what it says. The Apostle Paul again says, If you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe what? That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, the gospel message in all its simplicity includes as a pivotal part the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, or rather believing in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, if Christ had died, if Christ had died and never been resurrected, he would just be like any other religious leader, would he not? You know, what made Christ unique, what made the life of Christ unique, what made the sacrifice of Christ efficacious was that not only he died, but that he rose again on the third day. And so if Christ had died and never been resurrected, the gospel would have been totally inadequate. So I just want to go through this, uh, this uh, section here in 1 Corinthians 15 and look at six things that we see here which would have been the case if Christ did not rise from the dead. The first one we see in verse 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and, uh, and, and verse, uh, verse 14. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty empty. So if Christ had not risen from the dead, then Paul is saying, my preaching, our preaching, you know, the resurrection is an integral part of the, of the gospel and our preaching, uh, we wouldn't even have anything to preach about. Right? Our preaching would be in vain. You know, the gospel would just be a fairy tale and that's why the resurrection is so important because it is the resurrection that makes this message something worth preaching. The second point we see in verse 14 again, you know, uh, and your faith is also empty. You know, our faith in Christ would be useless. You know, our, the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't be worth believing if he was still in that tomb and that stone was still there and he had not risen again. He would still be dead. You know, it was in the resurrection that he crushed the head of the serpent as was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. The third point we find in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, uh, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So the third point is that if Christ did not rise from the dead, uh, then the witnesses, that is all of us, the witnesses and the preachers of the resurrection would be liars. We would be false witnesses because that is a critical element in the gospel message that Jesus rose from the dead and you need to believe that he rose from the dead after paying the penalty 
for your sins. So we would be false witnesses if Christ did not rise from the dead and the entire gospel message is a lie. The next point is in verse 17, which says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Well, if Christ did not rise from the dead, no one would be redeemed from their sin. The resurrection is what signified the victory of Christ over sin. The fact that God accepted his sacrifice as being sufficient for your sin and my sin was the fact that he raised him up from the dead. It is because God accepted that sacrifice as being sufficient that he raised him from the dead. So without that victory, we would still be in our sin and we would still be unredeemed. Number 5, verse 18. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Okay, so if Christ did not rise from the dead, all the former believers in Jesus would have perished. They would have no eternal life. You know, without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, there is no hope beyond the grave. It means that we ourselves cannot be resurrected up in up. Have been forgiven. So they have no hope. And then finally, in verse 19, we see that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So what, what is this point? Paul is saying that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then Christians would be the most pitiable people on earth. Now why does he, why does he, what, what does he mean by that? What he means is that, you know, we live our lives trying to be holy and righteous. We live our lives trying to please God. We go through sacrifices and we endure much suffering in anticipation of the life to come because you know our 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 outlook is eternal it is not temporal on the earth and if there is no life hereafter if when we die that is the end you know which would be the case if christ didn't rise from the dead because as we read as kevin read there you know christ was the first fruits the fact that christ rose from the dead is what gives us that basis for our own resurrection into eternal life in the future you know, and if there is no life hereafter, then what a pitiable life. We, why, why would we live the way we live? Why would we not just go out and have fun and, and, and you know, live with like the rest of the world do? If Christ did not rise from the dead, Christians would be the most pitiable people on earth. This is why the resurrection of Christ is the most important event for the gospel, the most important part of the gospel message. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, our preaching would be senseless. If Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith in him would be useless. If Christ did not rise from the dead, the witnesses and the preachers of the resurrection, all of us would be liars. If Christ did not rise from the dead, no one would be redeemed. None of us would be actually redeemed from our sin. If Christ did not rise from the dead, all believers, all former believers who have died have perished. They have no hope. We will have no hope when we die uh, when we end this life, when our life ends, and if Christ did not rise from the dead, we as Christians would be the most pitiable people on earth. And this is why that resurrection, what happened there, and what these women witnessed there, and what the angels announced there on that first day of the week is so important. Now, Paul also in verse 58, uh, if we can look at that in 1 Corinthians 15, he also tells us, therefore what? How should we live? in the light of the reality of the resurrection of Christ. You know, the resurrection of Christ is, is, is a reality. And when Paul talks about these things, you know, he's, he's, he's using 
you know, he's, he's using a, a rhetorical way of saying that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then all of these, these things would be true. But praise God, he did rise from the dead. And therefore, we can be, uh, you know, we can be sure that our preaching is not senseless. We can be sure that our faith in Christ is not useless. We can be sure that, that what we preach is not a lie, but it is the absolute truth. We can be sure that we have been redeemed from our sin and that we have a hope beyond this life. And all those who have died in Christ will rise again. And because Christ rose from the dead, we are not the most pitiable, but we are the ones who are going to live with Him for all eternity in glory, in that place that He is preparing for us. But then how should we live today in the light of Christ, uh, the, the reality of Christ's resurrection? Paul gives us three instructions here in verse 58. Uh, if we can look at that, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Number one, okay, be steadfast. Number two, be immovable. And number three, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. Be steadfast in the faith. Hold on to your faith in the face of difficult circumstances and difficult times. Do not give up. Number two, be immovable. Be unshakable. Don't let the momentary troubles of life move you away from living for the Lord. And number three, abound abound in the work of the Lord. Do the work of the Lord in abundance, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know how often when we labor for the Lord, it can seem like we are doing it for no return. We are doing it for no, no benefit. But he says, abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, nothing, nothing that we do for Christ in this life is going to be in vain. We will receive the eternal glory and the reward. And Galatians 6, 9, 10 talks about this as well. So be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. As you go through your life as a believer in Christ, think back to the reality of His resurrection and what it means. Think back to the fact that because Jesus rose from the dead, we have all this hope. Our hope is secure in the fact of His resurrection. Because He rose from the dead, we know that God accepted His sacrifice and therefore our redemption is real. Because He rose from the dead, we know that we will rise up into glory and not to destruction. And therefore we need to be steadfast, therefore we need to be immovable and therefore we need to abound in the work of the Lord. So that was the first scene there that we see in Luke 24. But let's move on and look at the next scene which is uh, you know, there's a group of people here and there are at least five different groups of people I'd like to quickly look at uh, and uh, look at their response and their reaction uh, uh, of these groups. And these groups are all followers of the Lord Jesus. Some of them were the, the, the 12 disciples or the 11 by this point. Uh, some of them were others who were part of the larger group of the followers of Jesus. And we want to look at how they responded and how they reacted to the scene that was unfolding before them. First, let's look at the reaction of the women at the tomb. So what we find is that the women at the tomb in verses 4, back in Luke 24 and verse 4, it says that it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. So they were perplexed, they were confused. We look at this earlier. And verse 8 onwards, and they remembered. So at this point, the angels have told them, Hey, don't you remember what the Lord Jesus said to you? And when, he, when, when the angels reminded them of it, they remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, 
Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of, J of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So here we find uh, a group of followers of Jesus who were women. And uh, you know these women, uh, they were perplexed, they were confused because they had forgotten what Jesus had told them, right? They had, it had gone out of their mind. They were, they were coming with intention to, to embalm the body of Jesus. They had worked hard all night to prepare these spices. And they were coming and their sole focus was on, on applying these spices to, to the body of the Lord Jesus. And so they were very confused. They were very concerned. They were very worried. But then when the angels reminded them, they remembered what Jesus had said when the angels told them, uh, this and then they immediately set off to tell the other disciples the good news. What a proper response we see out of these, uh, out of the, uh, out of the uh, these women. In fact, of all of these five groups, you know, the women were the ones who had ultimately the right response. And Brother LD alluded to this last week. You know, they were the ones who were blessed. You know, not only to be the first witnesses of this amazing event of all of history, the resurrection of Christ, uh, but also had the joy to go and tell even the disciples who were the closest to Jesus. So here we have the reaction of the women. The next group we have is the reaction of the disciples who received the report of the women. And these guys do not do themselves very proudly here. When you look at their reaction, verse 11, and these words seem to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. The word idle there means nonsense. Okay, So they heard what these women were saying and their response was, wow, this is absolute nonsense. What, what nonsense is this? You know, this couldn't possibly be true. You know, again, here we find a group of followers of Jesus who had been walking with Jesus for the last three years and had heard him many times say, you know, the Son of Man uh, is going and he's going to be uh, handed over to the, 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 the religious leaders and he's going to be uh, crucified and all of these things. You know, this was all things that they had been taught again and again by the Lord Jesus, but they had forgotten what the Lord Jesus had told them. And they were in a state of unbelief. You know, the reality of his crucifixion and his death had caused them to lose their perspective that this death of the Lord Jesus was part of the, part of the plan of God. And the difficulty and shock had taken them away from the truth. And these words, their words seemed to them like idle or nonsense tales. And then we have Peter. Now, Peter is an interesting character. What does Peter do? Verse 12, but Peter arose, so as soon as Peter heard this, he arose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by them, by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, Peter is a, is a man of action, right? Peter, uh, you know, he takes off, he runs to the tomb and he sees for himself. <coughs> and he was amazed to see that the grave was empty uh, and that the women's story was true, that there was nothing in the grave. Now Peter, <coughs> it was his norm to be very emotional, right? And he's the guy who's always out there. You know, if you think of the many stories of Peter, when, when he saw Jesus coming on the water, what does Peter do? Lord, let me jump in and let me walk to you, right? And then he starts sinking. Uh, <coughs> and then we see Peter again, when, when, uh, when the Lord says that all of you are going to disown me, Peter says, oh no, not me. You know, I'm, I'm never going to disown you, right? When the Lord tells him that, that he's going to uh, deny him three times. He says, oh, no, no, I might as well die. 
You know, I'll never deny you, right? Let me die with you. And then we find Peter in the garden when Jesus being arrested, that he's the guy who cuts off the ear of the, um, of the high priest's servant. <coughs> and he was the impulsive guy. He was the impulsive disciple, right? And uh, very impulsive in his reaction. So he went and he saw the tomb. But again, we don't see Peter really coming to a realization of what was going on. He was, it says he left there marveling to himself. You know, he did not know what to make of this. He, again, Peter, unlike the women, does not connect back to the, uh, to what the Lord had to- told them. So that's Peter. Then we come uh, from verse uh, 13 of Luke 24 onwards, these two men on the road to Emmaus. And let's look at them. Now, these two men, they were going on the road to Emmaus and, and then Jesus comes alongside them. You know, he's, he's, he's been resurrected and he's walking there and he comes alongside them and, uh, and he says, hey guys, what, what are you guys talking about, right? If you were to use modern parlance, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about so intently? And, and they're like, man, what are you? Are you guy who's been sleeping under a rock or something? You know, don't you know what's been happening here? This is what everybody's talking about. Well, what was that, right? We go down to uh, verse, uh, verse 18 and he says, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the man whose name was Cleopas, so one of them was called Cleopas, we don't know the name of the other one. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And, and Jesus said to them, what things? So Jesus acted a little, you know, a, a little dumb, I suppose. Uh, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God. And so they start telling him what happened to Jesus, that he was crucified and all those things, right? And then, um, you know, what we find here is in verse 22, uh, 23, or 20, he says, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and, uh, uh, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed because all, besides all this today is the third day since this thing, these things happen. Yes, and certain women, so they are aware of the women had gone and they've seen the, uh, you know, that the grave was empty and they told, they're telling Jesus this whole story which is quite, quite interesting. Um, but, but, you know, even though they had heard the news of the resurrection, it did not change their understanding or their disappointment. And the problem with these two men was, was that they had a different expectation of the Lord, right? Their expectation was that the Lord Jesus, he was going to be the Messiah who is going to physically redeem Israel from the rule and the oppression of the Romans. And that hadn't happened. And then we find out, we keep going and we find that Jesus explains, you know, Jesus says to them in verse uh, 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, and then, so Jesus goes back to the scriptures, he goes back to Moses, you know, all the prophets, and he explains to them that, you know, whatever you're saying happened to this Jesus guy, it's all according to scripture. Right? So even after Jesus explains it to them, they still do not come to grips with the truth. Right? Um, you know, and, uh, and, and Jesus calls them, Oh foolish ones and slow uh, of heart to believe. 
and uh, and then they they keep going and then they are they they are stopping i guess they reach the town of emmaus and they are stopping there and they ask jesus to stay, stay with them and then they have a meal and when jesus breaks bread their eyes are opened and they see who who it, who that it is jesus and uh, even then you know we find that they still have this doubt and here we find in verse 32 here's a reaction once they realize that this was jesus it says you know and they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us so here are two men who who were being ministered the scriptures and the the words of the prophets live by the lord jesus himself and their heart was burning within them their heart burned but their unbelief and their lack of understanding was was so great that you know they never quite made it to understand that hey this is all part of the plan of god so here we have the two men and then we have the 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 other disciples the larger group of disciples in verse 33 to 38 and jesus appears to them right and uh, so these these two men they go the two men on the road to emmaus they go and they meet up with the other disciples they were all meeting together somewhere and they tell them what had happened and they said that the lord is risen Uh, the lord is risen indeed and has appeared to simon and they told about the things that that had happened on the road to emmaus and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread now as they said these things what happened jesus appears right jesus appears right in the midst of this group of disciples and and uh, and he stood in the midst of them and said to them peace to you peace be to you but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit now remember they had just been told that you know that jesus they, these two men had seen jesus and that he is really alive they had the testimony of the women and all that but then the moment jesus appears to them they are confused they are frightened right when jesus appears uh, they are terrified and frightened and they are still full of doubt they were like man this is a ghost you know and then jesus says to them look you know as they said these things jesus himself stood and uh, verse uh, verse 38 and he said to them why are you troubled arise why do why do doubts arise in you uh, in your hearts behold my hands and my feet that it is i myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see i have he says look at my my nail scarred hands look at my nail pierced feet and jesus offers that to them uh but they still could not believe when we when we keep reading we find that while they still did not believe for joy so they were like at this moment they had realized jesus had had been um, you know was alive that really was jesus but they were still having these doubts in their mind right uh and uh, and then jesus asked for food to show them that he's real that he's actually eating right that he's hungry uh and uh, and so here we have this group of of disciples so there are five groups of people and we see as we look at them what do we see right what what can we learn from looking at these groups of people right now i want to i want to just give us some applications uh, as we look at them right so what do we see we see that circumstances and fear had made them forget the words of jesus that he would be killed and that he would rise again the third day and as we go through these applications i'm just going to pose a few questions to each of you so that you can think through this right think through these questions uh first one you know how forgetful are we of the words and promises of Jesus as we live our lives you know secondly we find peter 
who reacted impulsively, but even the seeing of the empty tomb did not resolve this matter for him. Right? <clears throat> How often do we react with emotion, with no real substance and no understanding behind it? The two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus had the wrong expectations of Jesus, despite all that he had taught them, even when they were confronted with the scriptures and their hearts were burning within them. Right? They were being convicted by the Lord Jesus by him sharing the scriptures. They still did not see the light. You know, what, what wrong expectations do we have of Christ? What are you expecting Christ to be? Many of us, you know, we go through life expecting Christ to, to be that sort of, you know, benefactor there who's making life easy for us. You know, how do we respond when he does not meet those misplaced expectations? You know, how often, how often do our hearts burn with the, when the scripture is spoken or someone confronts us with the truth of scripture, but yet we remain blinded to God, to the working of God in our lives. And then we have the disciples to whom Jesus appeared. By then, you know, they had many inputs about the resurrection of Christ by this point, yet they were terrified, yet they were frightened when Jesus offers them his peace. Here's Jesus saying, peace be unto you, and they were terrified and frightened. You know, how often do we respond in fear to circumstances rather than enjoy the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I want us to just think through these, these questions. You know, we may tend to look down on these disciples and say, man, what is wrong with these guys? You know, what is wrong with these people? How can they have forgotten everything that Jesus taught them? He was walking with them and teaching them. You know, uh, why were they in such a state that they couldn't grasp the fact that this same Jesus had done exactly what he had said? But you know, often, you know, how often do we discount the words and promises of Jesus and God's word and respond like these disciples. And let me just pick three, three passages of scripture. You know, Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You know, the Lord himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And the context there is that you are to be content with what you have because the Lord is always with you. He has said that he will provide for you. And yet, you know, is this reflected? Do we really believe this? And is it reflected in our life through contentment? You know, are we living a life of contentment when it comes to material things? Is it reflected in the strength of our faith in the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's go to John chapter 14 and 3 where it says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you? Well then why are you accumulating all this stuff on this earth? You know, why do you have three and four houses on this earth? You know, as opposed to preparing yourself for the mansions in heaven. Do we really believe this? Does our life reflect it? You know, our camp theme this year is living in the light of the return of our Lord. You know, our Lord has gone to prepare a place and He says, when I'm done, I'm coming back to take you with me. You know, our life needs to be focused on eternal things. And then Philippians 4, 6 to 7, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, how often are we beset by anxiety? You know, anxiety about our health, anxiety about our jobs, anxiety about our children, anxiety about 
about all manner of things that are going on in the world around us, how often are we beset by anxiety rather than going to God in supplication and thanksgiving and therefore we do not enjoy the peace of God. You know, do we really live our life based on the reality that we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today, who loves us beyond measure and He has secured our eternal destiny and He desires us to be more like Him each day? Are we focused on that? If we are not, then we are are no different than these disciples who we can look at them 2,000 years later and say, man, these guys really missed the boat here, right? But the fact is, each of us, we're missing the boat every single day of our lives and it's something we need to examine. We need to self-examine and to see what what it is that, that we need to do differently in our life. And so that scene is over and then they, we come to verses 24, uh, 44 onwards. You know, and then um, this is the Great Commission, right? And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this is actually a segue into the book of Acts. So if you remember when we started uh, this series, we talked with looking at both Luke and Acts together. And next time on January the 8th or 15th, I guess, uh, we'll, be, we'll be starting the, the book of Acts and both written by Dr. Luke you know, to the same recipient, Theophilus. And here he's connecting the two parts, right? And so the Luke, the book of Luke ends with the Great Commission and the Ascension. Book of Acts starts again with the Great Commission and the Ascension and then goes on to the story of the church. So what does Jesus do here? You know, he reiterates, I'm not going to read the verses. In verse 44 and 45, he reiterates and teaches the disciples again from the scriptures that what they were witnessing was part of God's plan. You know, after all of this, Jesus had to sit them down and explain to them again before they finally got it. And then in verse 46 to 48, he commands them that they need to preach the gospel, that is repentance and remission of sins in the name of Christ, beginning at Jerusalem and then beyond. And then he promises the arrival of the Holy Spirit who will endow them with power and commands them to wait in Jerusalem, wait in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and we'll see this again in the book of Acts chapter 2. So that's in verse 49. And then Jesus blesses them. They walk all the way to Bethany and in Bethany he ascends up into heaven. If you look at verse 50, it says he led them as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then what happens? The disciples... Uh, the beautiful ending to the story, you know, now by now they've figured it out, you know, they're all settled and they've, the Lord has instructed them and he's given them this command and they see him being lifted up into glory and they, they embrace the mandate that he has given to them, verse 53 or verse 52 and 53, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And that was, that's the end of the story. So what do we see here? We see that the resurrection was the pivotal moment in human history and in church history. As we see in Acts, you know, we are, or we are going to see in Acts very soon, you know, it set in motion, this resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it set in motion a series of events that shook the world of that time. And that what started on that, you know, in that time period, in history, it continues on today. You know, it kicked off the amazing work of Christ building his church brick by brick, person by person, starting with his own disciples. It took them a while to understand, but when they did, when they got it finally, their lives were transformed. We find here the beginning of that transformation. They became full of joy. 
They became full of worship uh, and they became full of thanksgiving and they, they started obeying the command of the Lord to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2, we're going to see where the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go through the next stage of their personal transformation and they started changing the world. You know, we today, this church today, you know, we are the fruits of what happened on that first day of the week. What was kicked off, that, that magnificent part of the program of God to build His church. When Christ rose from the dead, He kicked off that, that set of events with those group of believers, the disciples, the unbelievers, unbelieving disciples, the doubting disciples, the terrified disciples. They all came together and we are called to live in the power of Christ. So are you living in the power of the resurrected Christ. I want us to ask ourselves this question or is your life characterized by doubt, unbelief and fear? And I'm not going to turn to it but read Ephesians 1 verses 19 uh, to, uh, to 21. You know and Paul says here that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You know the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in us we have that same power. I just want to close with the words of that, that song that we just sang. You know, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now listen to this, this last verse. And this is this should be, you know, a reflection of our own lives. And I want us to examine our lives today in the light of the resurrection of Christ, in the light of what we've learned from the example of, of these disciples who were there, in light of the commission that the Lord Jesus has given to us. You know, the last verse of that song says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Are you standing? Are you living? Are you carrying on your day-to-day -day life in the power of Christ? Are you growing day by day into Christ-likeness? Remember, you serve a risen Savior and he is working in you. He desires to work in you. May God enable us to grow into, into Christ-likeness day by day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We just want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you that our Savior is part of your plan of salvation, Lord, that he came, he was born as a babe in the manger, but he came, Lord, to die on the cross of Calvary. We thank you, Lord, that he submitted himself to your will, that he went to the cross, that as we were reminded today, he rose again, the third day, Father, and that He lives today and He is walking with us, that we have His power, the power that, that Father, Your power that raised Him from the dead, Father, the, Your power uh, that, that raised Him from the dead is working in us, Lord. And yet, Father, we want to we wanna confess that very often, Father, we fall short of what You would want us to be, Lord. We are so beset by our, our, our flesh, we are so beset by the cares of this world, Lord, that, that that we fall short of where you would want us to be, Lord. We forget, Father, that, that, uh, that we stand before you. We stand in this world in the power of the risen Christ. And so we just want to pray, Father, that each of us today may be 
may, may be um, encouraged, Lord, that we might be encouraged to examine ourselves, to examine our own attitude and our own level of belief in your word, in your promises, our own um, level of dedication and commitment, Lord, uh, to the way we live our lives, whether it is lived in a way that is pleasing to you, whether we are living our lives, Father, growing into Christ-likeness day by day. And so we just want to commit everyone here today, all, all of the members of this church, into your hands, especially, Lord, as we come to the end of this year, we look back and we are thankful for the way you have led us and we pray that we may all dedicate ourselves, Father, to examine every area of our lives, Lord, to see where we need to make changes, to see where we need to uh, build uh, our knowledge, build our understanding, to build uh, our obedience, Lord, uh, to your word. We give you all glory and praise. Thank you again, Father, in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.